Uh, but we're in Isaiah 9, 6. Our Advent series is called Name Above All Names. And uh, we are looking at the four names of Jesus as revealed by the prophet Isaiah uh, here in verse 6. And uh, uh, the first two Sundays of Advent, we looked at the first two names, Wonderful Counselor and uh, Mighty God. And by the way, if you missed either of those messages and you wanted to catch up, or, or if you ever miss any messages here at the church and you want to catch up, you can always find them on the church website. You go to the church website, you click Sermons, and you'll find a list of all the messages. And, uh, and there's three ways you can access them. You can either listen to the message if you like to listen, or you can click on the video link if you'd rather watch the message, and you can watch and listen to the message. Some of you are readers. You can even click on a link, and you'll find the entire message written out for you. And, uh, and you can read through the message. And that's especially helpful if there's a point that you were trying to find or a quote that you'd missed, and you want to look that up. You can click on that, and you can just read through the message. And, and uh, so that's all there on the website. So we've looked at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Today we come to our third name, Everlasting Father. So we're in Isaiah 9, 6. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Hear God's word from the book of Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, I pray that as we uh, look at this third name here now in Isaiah, that uh, God, you would not only teach us, help us to understand this name, but I pray, Lord, that you would help us to apply uh, this name of you, Lord Jesus. Apply this to our own lives to gain comfort and strength for, for our lives and to draw closer to you in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, so we're going to begin this morning. I'm going to ask a few questions of you, and if, if you want to raise your hand and answer the questions, you're welcome to. It'll actually make it a little bit funner that way, but how many of you are driving the same car that you drove 20 years ago? Is anybody driving the same car they were driving 20 years ago? Nobody. Okay, we had some takers at the first service, and they're kind of proud of it too. So, okay, how many of you have the same TV you had 10 years ago. How many of you have the same TV you had 10 years ago? Okay, a few of us. Some of us have upgraded. That's okay. There we go. Okay, here's a good one. How many of you are wearing, not right now, but maybe during the week, how many of you are wearing the same sneakers you wore five years ago? How many of you are wearing the same sneakers you were? Okay, a few of us, most of us have trailed. Oh, now more and more hands come up. Now they see they've got some company. It's okay. The point is this, okay? Things don't last forever, right? Cars get old, shoes wear out, equipment breaks down. By the way, if you ever buy an expensive piece of equipment, you're wondering, I wonder how long this is going to last. Nowadays, all you got to do is look at the warranty, right? And yeah, one month, one day after that warranty expires, it's gone, right? Planned obsolescence. And even if something doesn't wear out, right? Fashion still change. New products come out. Clothes go out of style. I'm guessing most of you aren't wearing the same clothes you were wearing in high school. Unless you're still in high school. Okay, that's okay. Rosie made me throw out all of my high school clothes last year. And uh, so, yeah, so, but, you know, for most of us, it's not a big deal, right? 
when we buy something and it doesn't last. We're used to that, right? We say, well, I can replace it. I can buy another one. I can upgrade it to something better. But it's not just things we buy that don't last, is it? It's everything, right? Not just our possessions, but our relationships, even life itself. The entire universe, okay, is slowly wearing down. The sun is burning up its fuel. Even our own bodies are subject to decay. You know, when we're younger, we feel we'll live forever. I'm never going to die, right? But we get older and our bodies begin to betray us. And we learn the hard truth that nothing lasts forever in this world. I think about the elderly couple who approached the restaurant and shuffled up, took them forever with their walkers, and they got up to the, the hostess and said, how long? And they said, about 40 minutes. And the gentleman looked at his wife and looked back and said, do you have anything sooner? We may not make it that long, you know? Nothing lasts forever in this world, but we are all looking for something that will last, right? Something that will go the distance. Well, with this third name, Isaiah introduces us to one who is called Everlasting Father. And we've seen some amazing paradoxes already in the first two names, but this third name is is perhaps the most paradoxical of all. Charles Spurgeon, a wonderful preacher, draws out the paradox as well when he comments that the child is a counselor, the baby is God, the son is a father, and the infant is infinite. I love that. We're going to take those last two parts, two of his comments there. We're going to use that for our outline this morning as we look at two paradoxes in particular. The son is a father and the infant is infinite. And then we'll close it all out by seeing how Jesus is an everlasting father to all those who come to him. It's all right there in the outline that's in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out. It'll help you to follow along with the message. Uh, Let's get started now. The first paradox we encounter in this name is that the son is a father. The son is a father. And that's a little confusing at first because we're not used to thinking of Jesus as a father, right? We think of God the father as the father, right? Jesus is the son. And yet here Isaiah says the son is a father. So what do we make of that? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that the son is not the father when it comes to the Trinity, okay? The son is not the father in relation to to the Trinity. Rather, in the Bible, the Son is distinguished from the Father. We read about that earlier in the service, right? John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Well, the Word in these verses, that's Jesus. And we see from this verse that, yes, Jesus is God, yet he's also distinguished from God in some way because he was with God. And you go, well, how could that be? Uh, And the answer is what we call the Trinity. The Trinity, the Bible teaches us that uh, there is one God, who exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, remember last week when we looked at the incarnation, right? We saw that Jesus is one person with two natures, while God is three persons with one nature. They're both miracles. They're both beyond anything we can understand. 
But he has one divine nature shared equally among the three persons of the Godhead. Now, there are certain religious groups out there who deny the Trinity, and they teach what is called oneness doctrine or oneness theology. And oneness doctrine teaches that God is one person instead of three. It teaches that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are just all one and the same person. And they point to uh, Jesus' statement in John 10.30 for support, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and that could be confusing, but Jesus is not claiming to be the Father in that verse. He's talking about the Trinity, what we're talking about right now. He wasn't saying that he and the Father are the same person. Rather, he was saying that he and the Father are both God, that they share the same one divine nature. And so the Son is not the Father in relation to the Trinity. Because in the Bible, the Son is distinguished from the Father. Now, the Son is not the Father, but the Son does reveal the Father. The Son reveals the Father. That's what Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples. John 14 starts off with Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The book of Hebrews puts it this way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when Isaiah calls Jesus everlasting father, first thing we got to do, got to be careful to distinguish this name from the Trinity. It's a name that is still revealing of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, both God, both share the same divine nature, but Jesus is not the father in the sense of God the Father in the Trinity. So if Isaiah is not talking about the various persons of the Trinity here, then what is he talking about, right? What does he mean by calling Jesus Father? And the answer is this. The Son, in Isaiah 9, 6, is not the Father in relation to the Trinity. Rather, the Son is a Father in relation to us. In relation to us. And that may be a new thought for you this morning. Uh, thinking of Jesus as your father. But I can think of at least three ways that the scriptures teach us Jesus is a father in relation to us. First of all, he is the source of all life. He is the father of all life. We looked at John 1, 1 and 2 earlier. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. And so Jesus is a father in relation to us, first of all, because as God, he is the source of all life. He is the father of all creation. All life comes from him. And then a second way that Jesus is a father in relation to us is because he has a father's heart. A father's heart. Uh, we read Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I know some of you had great fathers and some of you perhaps not so great fathers. But a true father's heart, according to Scripture, is this heart of compassion. That's what God says in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's the father's heart, the heart of compassion. And when Jesus saw the crowds lost in their sin, far from God, he did not look at them with disdain disdain or disgust but he looked upon them with the compassion of a father and please know this morning today Jesus has the same compassion for you he has a father's heart for you he looks at you with compassion and so Jesus is a father in relation to us because he is the source of life because he has a father's heart and thirdly this one's kind of tricky okay you're gonna have to really sit up and pay attention to this one thirdly because he is what the scriptures call the second Adam the second Adam you may not have heard that before let's read the verses first and we'll talk about it first Corinthians 15 47 to 49 uh, contrasts the first man Adam with Jesus the second Adam Paul writes, the first man, that's Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man came from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So this one's a little tougher to grasp than the first two, but let's see if we can break it down a little bit, okay? Adam was our first father, okay? We all go back to Adam. We're all related to Adam. He is our first father. And when Adam sinned, he not only took on a sinful nature uh, to himself, but he then passed on that sinful nature to each successive generation. We inherit our sinful nature from Adam because he is our father. We all trace our lineage back to him. We are all sinners. Why? Because we are in Adam. But Jesus is the second Adam. And if you are in Jesus, right? If you are in Christ, then guess what? You have a new lineage now and a new father Yes, we all died in Adam, but when you come to Jesus, you have new life in Christ. Jesus is the second Adam because he replaces the first Adam. The first Adam brought sin and death. The second Adam brings righteousness and life. And in this sense also, Jesus is your father because he is the second Adam who brings life, whereas your first father, Adam, brought death. So that's our first paradox this morning. The son is a father, not in relation to the Trinity, but rather in relation to us. Our second paradox is this. The infant is infinite. The infant is infinite. Last week, we looked at the miracle of the incarnation. We looked at it from a physical standpoint. The mighty God of the universe took on flesh and became a human child. Amazing. This week, uh, we look at the incarnation in a different way, not the miracle of physical 
flesh, but the miracle of time. Time as it relates to the incarnation. The infinite God who is before time, who is outside of time, he entered time as a human being. And so the baby in the manger is not only a father, that's amazing enough, he is the everlasting father. Or as Charles Spurgeon put it, the infant is infinite. So what does the Bible tell us about this amazing miracle? Well, first of all, we know the infant is infinite because Jesus is the first and the last. The book of Revelation, the first chapter, verses 17 and 18. Uh, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. What is Jesus saying here? That he has always been, and he always will be. He's basically saying that he is God. Psalm 92 tells us that God is infinite. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus is the first and last. Why? Because he is from everlasting, he is to everlasting, he has always been, he will always be. Secondly, the infant is infinite because he is before all things. That's the first of first and last, right? Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, let me tell you three things that he's before. He's before all things. Let me tell you three specific things. First of all, he is before Abraham. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And yet Jesus told the people of his day in the Gospel of John, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. That's amazing. He was before Abraham. But it goes back even further than that. He's not only before Abraham, he's also before creation. We just saw that in John 1, 3. Through him, all things were made. For Jesus to make all things, he had to be in existence before all things. And so he's before creation. He's before Abraham. He's before creation. Goes back even further than that. Because the Bible also tells us that he is before time. And there's a wonderful Christmas verse Uh, In the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it speaks of Bethlehem, the city of Christ's birth. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from, from me one who will be the ruler over Israel. And here's the part now. Whose origins, whose beginnings are from of old, from ancient times. And that phrase that we translate from ancient times, really in the Hebrew, what it means is from days of eternity. And so Micah is saying of this ruler born in Bethlehem that his origins are from eternity. And so the everlasting father comes out even before father time. He's before everything. In fact, this name everlasting father in Isaiah 9, 6 can also be translated father of eternity. Jesus is before all things, before Abraham, before creation, before time itself. He has no beginning. There is nothing before him because he is before all things. But remember, Jesus said he's the first and the last. So not only is he before all things, thirdly, he remains forever. 
Hebrews 1, verses 10 through 12, says this about Jesus. In the beginning, O Lord, you, Lord Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will just roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. You know, we tend to think of the earth that we walk on as pretty solid, right? We tend to think of, of the universe and the heavens and the, the star, stars and the skies as pretty permanent fixtures. But you see, even this physical world of ours has an expiration date. And when the time comes, Christ is going to roll up the heavens like a robe. Put it in the closet. Put it away. Time to change the garment. And the world as we know it will come to an end. But he, Jesus, remains the same. And his years will never end. So those are our two paradoxes this morning. The son is a father. The infant is infinite. Then I'd like to draw things to a close by simply making this third point that Jesus is an everlasting father to all who come to him. Everyone who comes to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, I will be an everlasting father to you. Whoever comes to Jesus, Jesus never turns you away. He's never turned anyone away. Doesn't matter how good, doesn't matter how bad you are, you come to Jesus, he will take you in and he will be an everlasting father to you. And the reason we know this, first of all, is because he is the same forever. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he is a father to you today, then you can rest assured that he will be a father to you tomorrow and every day of your life and on into eternity. He is the same forever. And not only is Jesus the same forever, but Jesus also saves forever. He saves forever too. Hebrews 7.25 says this, he is able to save completely. We'll come back to that word completely in a minute. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That word completely can also be translated. It's the same word for forever. Jesus saves completely. Why? Because he saves forever. He always lives to intercede or pray for us. Charles Spurgeon makes a wonderful comment on this in in his sermon on Isaiah 9-6. He writes this. He goes, here's a sweet thought. Jesus neither himself dies nor does he become childless. He does not lose his children. And this is the best of all, that he is an everlasting father to all those to whom he is a father at all. If you have entered into this relationship so as to be in union with Christ, you are his child and you shall forever be. Jesus is an everlasting father to all who come to him because he is the same forever and he saves forever. Praise God. You know, we started off this morning by saying, everyone's looking for something that lasts, but nothing lasts for long. 
in this world. Physical things, relationships, good health, even life itself, none of these things last in and of themselves. But when you give your life to Jesus, he is your everlasting father. And he has promised to take care of you forever. The son is a father. The infant is infinite. And Jesus is an everlasting father to all who come to him. That is the good news of Christmas for all of us this morning. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this third beautiful name that Isaiah prophesied for you 700 years before you were born. And once again, Lord, out of all of the people born into our world, there is only one who fulfills each one of these names. And Lord Jesus, only you can receive this name, Everlasting Father. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good, good Father. We give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.